been going through uh, what's called the greatest sermon ever told. This is the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus' is really, it's probably his first sermon, uh, public sermon. He's preaching to a bunch of people. He's on a mount. They're below him, and, he, and he's just preaching. And I feel like as we've gone through this series for the last month or two, I feel like every week I feel like Jesus is just stepping on my toes. Where every week I just feel like, man, like, like Jesus preached this 2,000 years ago, but everything is so relevant to me and our lives today that I just feel like, man, every week it's just like God just, just is, is ready to sock me and, and, and really challenge me in my faith. And today, today we've got another one of those hard ones. Another one of those that's going to be kind of uh, a little bit of a challenge today. Let me ask you this. Anybody know what the most popular verse of the entire Bible is? Anybody have a guess? John 3.16, that's a good one. Pe- a lot of people know that one. Uh, thank you, Tim Tebow. Any other suggestions? Matthew, what was that? Ephesians 6, 11 is a good one. Matthew 7, 1. Okay, this is one, whether you are a Christian or non-Christian, this is a verse that people know. John, or excuse me, Matthew 7, 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. In fact, this is what I did this week. And everybody knows that verse. Whether you are a Christian or not, you know that verse. And and what I did this week is I typed into Google. I I went on to Google and I typed in... uh, the Bible says not to, and, and here's the picture that came up. Go ahead and show that. The Bible says not to swear. The Bible says not to worry. The Bible says not to eat meat. I don't know if it really says that. I hope not. But number one, the Bible says not to judge. I mean, everybody knows that. I mean, people are so curious about that. Now, let me just say, yes, this is how we do sermon research, all right? You ever wanted to know? There we go. There you have it. Now, this verse... Matthew 7, judge not that you be not judged, is is probably one of the most quoted verses in the entire Bible. And it's also probably one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible. And I'll tell you, the reason why people like this verse is because we live in a a society uh, that when you start talking about issues of morality, when you start talking about issues of religion, issues of faith, we no longer believe in absolutes. We live in a society that says you can't tell someone else that they're wrong. No longer when we deal with morality, no longer is it black and white. No longer is it right or wrong. No longer is it good or bad. It's whatever feels good to you, you do what you want to do. And who am I to judge you? It's whatever you you feel like. What's best for me works for me. What's best for you works for you. And, And don't judge me. All right? And they'll say, hey, the Bible says. But you know what's really crazy? Is is as much, when when it comes to this issue of morality and religion, as much as we want to say, hey, don't judge me, don't we love people that judge in in our culture? I mean, when you start looking uh, at issues, you look at politics, you look at art, you look at culture, you look at sports. Why do we have sports commentators? Why do we listen to sports radio? Because we want to hear them judge and, and give us feedback about our favorite sports teams. That's what we do. We like to hear that. Isn't this why, uh, isn't this what made Simon Cowell and, and, and uh, Gordon Ramsay, isn't that what made them famous? Is how they judged other people, how they judged their restaurant, how they judged their singing. That's why those two guys are famous. Yet when it comes to the issue of religion and morality, that's where we drop the line. That's where we take this verse. And this becomes a deflective weapon where when somebody confronts us with the truth, somebody says we're wrong, we pull that verse out, kind of like our trump card. Nope, the Bible says judge not. You can't judge me. 
Well, let me just tell you, that's not what Jesus means when he says, judge not that you be not judged. Because what's going to happen is Jesus says, judge not that you be judged. But then a couple verses later, in verses 13 and 14 of the same chapter, chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Does that really sound like Jesus said, hey, whatever you want to do works for you. I'm not going to, does that sound like Jesus just said that? Did Jesus just say, I'm not going to judge? No. Jesus just said, listen, there's a, a, a gate. There's a wide gate and a lot of people are going to go through. There's this narrow gate that leads to heaven. And very few people are going to find that. In fact, Jesus uh, in, John, in the book of John, Jesus characterized his life like this. John 7, 7 says, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. Jesus just said, listen. My life is characterized by how I judge people. Because I tell people, listen, your, your, your works, your, your, your actions are evil. Now, does that, again, does that sound like Jesus says, don't ever judge people? No, not, not, not quite. See, this, this command that Jesus gives us to judge not does not require that we uh, become blind. That we suspend our, our critical uh, powers. The reality is... Every one of us here, no matter how good we think we are, we have these things called blind spots. We have these areas of life that we just can't see about ourselves. And this is where the the beauty of the body of Christ is, is when we all walk in and recognize, hey, none of us are there. None of us are perfect. I mean, there's only one perfect person, and he's up in heaven right now. That's Jesus. Okay? None of us are perfect. We all have these blind spots. And, and the, the, the beauty of the body of Christ, the beauty of being in community with other people is they can begin to say, hey, man, I see an area of your life that's just a little bit off right now. I see you going down a path. It's not the best path for you to go down. Listen, that's a judgment. And that's the judgment that we all need. Because otherwise we have these blind spots and we're bound to, 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 to go the, the, the wrong way. Now, I know some of you are sitting in your seats right now saying, phew, Man, I thought he was going to say, I can't judge. Because some of you, like judging, like you think that's your spiritual gift, right? Like you walk into a room and it's like, I'm coming in like a wrecking ball, just ready to, to pounce. And, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But Jesus is going to point to us that there is a, a specific type of judging that is wrong. There is a judging that is hasty. There is a, a, a judging that is habitual, uh, that is simplistic. There is a way to judge that is a, a condemning type of judgment. This type of judgment, it undermines love. It destroys unity. It creates personal defensiveness. It violates the kingdom values of mercy and grace. And there's a type of judgment that Jesus is absolutely going to call wrong. And I want us to recognize that. I want us to understand, like Jesus is going to, in in this passage, he's going to give us this idea on on what it looks like for us to actually judge one another the way that that he says to. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a summary of this passage. And I would encourage you, you ought to get a pen and write this down so the people around you don't judge you and think you aren't very serious about God. Here's, Here's what Jesus is going to teach us this morning. He's going to say that we judge others in grace and truth under the experience of the gospel. He's going to say, listen, if we're going to judge other people, this is how it's to be done. We judge people in grace and truth under the experience of the gospel. 
And I'm going to take a couple of minutes this morning. We're going to look at this passage and have Jesus help us understand what that means. Couple, couple points to deal with that. And then at the end of the sermon today, we're going to deal with a, a really weird verse. Verse 6. I don't know if you've looked ahead and read that. It's kind of weird, but we'll get there. All right. So the question was, how do we, uh, how do we judge others? What, are the, what, is the, what does Jesus teach us? And the first thing he's going to tell us about judging others is that we have to have the proper motive when we are judging other people. The motive it matters. And he's going to say the motive when you are judging or confronting other people is always to be about love and about reconciliation to God. That is the only reason we are to judge other people. Here's, here's, uh, the goal is not to condemn. Here's what the Bible says about Jesus. Okay? Jesus, again, he could be one of the most judging people in the world. But this is what the Bible says about Jesus. John three seventeen says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Okay, so what the Bible just said is that Jesus came into the world. He didn't come to condemn the world. He didn't come just to tell everybody how wrong they are because of all the bad things they've done. Yes, Jesus did tell the truth. Yes, Jesus did say that your works are evil. Yes, Jesus did say there's a narrow gate that leads to heaven. And unless you come to Jesus, you're not going to enter heaven. Yes, Jesus told the truth. But it's what Jesus did after telling the truth that we need to recognize. Because after Jesus told us the truth, what Jesus did is he, is he brought us close. He made us friends. We, as sinners, as broken people, unbent towards rebellion, he brought us close. He made us friends. You know what's crazy is, is that verse, John 3, 17, follows the mo second most favorite verse in the Bible, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever should believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he says, listen, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. See, as Jesus confronts us with the truth, as Jesus confronts us with our wicked ways, with our sinfulness, what does he do? What judgment does he pronounce on us? Man, the judgment that Jesus offers us is grace. The judgment that he offers us is mercy, forgiveness. He offers us restoration. His goal in providing that was not to tell us how bad we are, but that we would see our need for him and we'd be experience his love and forgiveness and restoration. Like that's, that's the reason why he came. Not just to tell us how bad we are, but to bring us closer to God. To restore us to him. And that becomes a question where we have to ask what our motive is. When we're having this desire to confront somebody, to complain, to judge somebody, what is your motive? And this is a hard question. This is a question that you have to really wrestle with in your heart. What is your motive? Jesus was full of grace and truth. The truth was there, but there was grace in that. And you know what happens when you have truth without grace? That's just harsh. That is, that is, a, that is something that gives information in a way that is hardly ever received. Right? Right? You may see someone be conformed to a different pattern, but the heart isn't there. There's not lasting change. 
And so Jesus comes in and says, listen, we've got to learn how to do this with grace and truth. Ephesians 4.29, for those of you that feel like, man, I, it's my spiritual gift just to bluntly tell everybody the truth. Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Colossians 4, 6 says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to give each person an answer. Jesus is saying, listen, when we're in relationship with people and we're going we're gonna to offer them some criticism, we're going to offer them some feedback, we need to do it with tact. We need to do it with grace, with a humble attitude that, that esteems whoever we're going to listen to. That We try and figure out, hey, how is this most best going to be received? We, we, we offer that feedback to that person in, in love and, and compassion, promoting those values of, of grace and mercy. That has to be our motive every time. Our motive isn't just to tell someone how wrong they are. Our motive shouldn't be to make ourselves feel better because if they're wrong, it makes us feel better. Our motive always has to be love. Our motive always has to be that they would understand and they'd be uh, brought back closer to God. Now, the question is, well, how do I know? Like, how do I know what my motive is? Like, if I'm in the season where I'm going to look at somebody and I'm going to offer them some credit, how do I know what my motive is? A couple, couple ways to look at it. Okay, number one, how do you know if your motive is wrong? If you cut off those who disagree with you, that would probably tell you that your motive is wrong. Do you understand that? Like, if you disagree with somebody very strongly, maybe it's about politics, maybe it's about morality, whatever it is, if your attitude is, if your attitude is hey, because we, don't, because we didn't disagree on this one issue, I, I just, I can't be friends with you. I can't be in relationship with you. That would tell you that your motive is probably in the wrong thing. Because as Christians, we have to love the other person more than we love our stance on some particular issue. We have to, to love the person more than we love the issue. And let me tell you what, this doesn't mean, this does not mean, don't, don't get me wrong, this doesn't mean that you compromise your position. This doesn't mean that you fail to state your opinion and how you feel. But it means that you say, yes, this issue is, is important, but I love you more than I love being right. And even though you don't see things the way I see them, I'm going to keep bringing you close as a friend. I'm going to remain committed to you. Perhaps this may be the most damaging thing that us as Christians do to non-believers. Right? We look at these issues of morality that the Bible speaks to. And these are things that we need to take a stand on. But we have non-believing friends. We have non-Christian friends that don't hold our morality of the Bible. And we make this the central issue. Where you have to, you have to come and, and convert to my view of sexuality. You have to come and convert to my view of politics. See how wrong that is? The issue isn't whether or not they, how they view sexuality. The issue is whether or not they know Jesus as their Savior. And when we take these issues and we make them the issue, hey, I can't be in relationship with you because you don't disagree, because we disagree on this issue, we have no relationship. That person doesn't know the love of Christ. And we basically are saying, hey, I'm going to shut you out because you don't agree with me on this issue, as opposed to saying, hey, I'm going I'm to communicate the truth to you, but I'm going to love you just as Christ has done with me. 
Second wrong motive, wrong way to check your motive, and this is probably the worst type of wrong motive, is when we gossip about, gossip about another person. Again, we're looking at somebody's life. We're looking at somebody coming in and we're saying, man, man, did you see that person wore today? Man, yeah, they're trying to get attention. But you know, we don't actually share that to that person. When we gossip about it, we give them no chance to, to grow. We give them no chance for God to do anything in their life. Right? Isn't that what gossip is? We're going to sit and pass judgment and pass criticism on somebody else and give them no opportunity for God to do anything in that. See how wrong that is? Again, that's a motive issue. And we can, we're very good about disguising our, 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 our gossip, aren't we? It's a prayer request. Did you see that person? Oh, bless his heart. That doesn't fly. That's still gossip. Still gossip. All right. Second thing Jesus is going to teach us about when, how to judge others under grace and truth. Uh, under, under the experience of the gospel, he's going to teach us to, to judge others the way that you'd want to be judged. We are to judge other people the way you want to be judged. Verse, uh, verse 1 and 2 says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, you will be judged. Listen, how do you want other people to judge you? Let me ask you this way. How do you feel when people make hasty judgments upon you? How do you feel when somebody is constantly criticizing you? Think about the pain that you felt when you've been unfairly and unlovingly judged. When people have no desire to, to love you, no desire to, to encourage you, but they just want to pronounce junk on you. How does that make you feel? Because what Jesus just said is the, the standard that you set to judge others, you will no less be obliged to be judged by the same standard. How you and I judge other people, Jesus just said, that's how we're going to be judged by God. And I'm, I'm just going to suggest, I don't think any of us are, are, are praying and saying, God, God, judge me as I judge others. Like, I don't think any of us would want to pray that prayer, Right? Why is it that sometimes Christians are the most harsh and self-righteous people? Because what Jesus just said is, is how you judge others, that measure is going to be the measure that, that's measured out for you. And I hear that term measure, and I think about these. I think about measuring cups. And Jesus just said, listen, when you are heaping on criticism on someone else, listen, that's going to be the same type of measure that's used for you. So I've got... I think that's a third of a cup and a full cup. And just, just think about this. Think about this. Think about, think about how you criticize others, how you judge others. There's two ways to do it, and I want you to hear the difference. The first way is, is somebody comes in and we're like, man, did you see that guy's truck? Man, that guy's got, uh, you've got more money in your truck than you ever put on your family. Man, your priorities are all wrong. Listen, when you criticize and judge like that, man, you're putting up a defensive wall. You are heaping on criticism that isn't done to benefit. You're just heaping negative criticism. Sometimes you see this. Sometimes somebody comes in, a mom with three young kids, and this would never happen in church. Okay, maybe sometimes it would. Whether you've got that mom with three young kids, and you're standing back, and you're watching that mom and thinking, man, that mom, she doesn't know what she's doing. 
Like, look at those kids. They're brass. They're running all over the place. They're crawling under the pews. They're, they're, man, those kids are, man, that parent has no clue what she's doing. Again, the measure that you use to judge others is going to be the measure that's used for you. What about this one? Man, that church, that church has got crappy coffee. Okay, that's not a bad judgment. No church should have crappy coffee. I'm just going to say that. We want to make sure our coffee here is good. We give you the best stuff, all right? But think about how to change that criticism. Think about how to change that. Where instead of looking at the dude with the fancy truck, instead of, instead of just saying, hey, man, you don't love your family because you have a nice truck. Maybe you just say, hey, man, I'm challenged to grow as a father. Man, is that an area that we could grow together? Hey, let's, let, let's read a book together. Let's be challenged to grow as fathers and how we can love our families better. You see how that's a little bit better? You see how when you judge like that, you're offering the truth. Hey, this is the area we need to grow in. But you've got love and compassion and mercy mixed into that. What about that mom with those three young kids? Instead of standing back and saying, man, look at that mom. She doesn't know what she's doing. What about just saying, wow, man, you've got three kids under five years old. How do you do that? That's crazy. That's exhausting. Can I just, could I just give you a hand today? Could I just give you a hand and, and bless you? Because you've got this tremendous responsibility with three kids under five. Again, it's, it, the measure in which you judge is going to be the same measure with which you are judged. So when you judge out of criticism, man, that's the way you're going to be judged. But when you judge out of grace and mercy, man, I want to have that grace and mercy on me. Number three, when judging others in grace and truth under the experience of the gospel, we're to do it under the context of a loving relationship. We're to do it under the context of a loving... Uh, when you look at this, ter- this verse, look at verses three and four, this text. In verses 3 and 4, this is what Jesus says. He says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? Verse 4, uh, or how you can say to your brother. Again, this is, this is all about a relationship. Jesus is saying, you've got to have a relationship with a person before you just walk in and start criticizing. I mean, how many of you have ever been judged by somebody you don't even know? You're like, you don't know my story. You don't know my context. You don't know anything about me. You're not going to receive that well. Judging other people in a relationship vacuum is always risky business. In fact, Teddy Roosevelt, he's a great theologian, maybe not, but Teddy Roosevelt said this. He said, nobody cares how much you know. Or I would say nobody cares what you say until they know how much you care. And again, we want to be able to encourage the people around us. We want to love them well. And this is why relationships are so necessary. This is why relationships have to be a foundation of the, of the church, of the body of Christ. Because if we're going to challenge each other to grow, to, 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 to be more like Christ, you've got to have that relationship, that accountability. This is why we prioritize relationships at Restoration Church. Because we can't just live in a vacuum. It doesn't work to walk in and say, hey, you're an idiot. Stop doing that. You've got to have relationship. You've got to have a, a love and a concern for the other person. They have to know that and feel that. Again, put yourself on that relationship. 
Put yourself in that situation. Man, how does it feel when somebody comes along you, someone who's walked with you, somebody who has cared about you? When they come in and say, hey, I see this area of your life. It's not where it needs to be. You're more receptive to that because there's a relationship. Number four, and here's, here's probably the, the biggest one, is to judge in grace and truth, you have to experience the gospel yourself before judging others. You have to experience the gospel yourself before judging others. Here, here's what it says. It says, verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. One of those verses that many of us are familiar with, we've heard this idea before. And it's dealing with this issue of hypocrisy. And we understand hypocrisy. We've seen hypocrites all around us. This is a guy who stands up in his, in his small group and lectures them about tithing while he's cheating on his taxes or doing something dumb uh, on the other side. See, we have this uh, tendency, and whether you are a Christian or not, we have this tendency to point other people's faults out in order to, to throw off the scent for our, our own sin. I'd much rather call someone else out for doing something rather than me being exposed. This is why when we're, ju- when we're calling somebody else out, we call their sin straight what it is. But then when we, when we deal with our own sin, well, well, we have an excuse or we have a nice little term to wrap it up. Isn't that the difference between adultery and an affair? Right? And yes, Jesus is dealing with hypocrisy. He's saying, listen, you can't be a hypocrite. If you're going to go and talk to your brother about something they're doing wrong, you can't be struggling in the same area. You've got to, be, you've got to own that. But I think that Jesus is, is trying to point us to, to more than just that. He's confronting us with how we wrestle with our own sinfulness. See, when you look at the way that Jesus writes this, Jesus says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Notice, he doesn't speculate like if there's a log in your own eye. Now, he writes it and says, listen, why do you notice their speck and don't notice the log? He, he, he doesn't say if there's a log. He says there is a log in your own eye. It's very clear. The Bible is, is, is very, very uh, consistent with this, that we as human beings are completely sinful. In fact, the scripture says the heart is desperately wicked. Right? That's the way we are. We, we have this disease inside of us. It's called sin. And listen, what happens with our disease? Sometimes we learn to cover the symptoms. Sometimes it's kind of like putting a lipstick on a pig. We can make the outside look not so bad. But the depravity is still there. The sin is still there. The disease is still there. In fact, uh, John Owen, who's an old theologian, said, The seed of every sin is in every human heart. That is our depravity. That is our heart. Our heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? And just because we don't show all of the symptoms does not mean the disease is not there. And I think that Jesus is saying, hey, hey, remember, remember that when you were judged, when you were judged for your own sin, what, 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 what were you given? You were extended grace. You were extended mercy. You were extended forgiveness. You were extended love. And this is where I think Jesus is saying, hey, you and I, if we're going to, talk to someone else about an issue of 
in their life, we need to actually experience the gospel because we're not any better than anybody else here. Listen, I'm a pastor of a church, and I'm no better than anybody else in this room. I'm just as broken and sinful as every one of us here. We're all on the same level. We all have that disease in us called sin. Our hearts are desperately wicked. And so we have to, to not just know the gospel, but we have to actually experience it. We have to recognize the gravity of sin, the gravity of sin in our own life. And we have to again and again and again take the log out of our own eye. Every day repent of, of, of the selfish nature that we have. Repent of the, the foolishness we have. Repent of how we always want to make life all about us. Because what happens is when we experience the gospel, not just know it, but when we experience the gospel in our heart, we begin to be overwhelmed by God's goodness towards us. It begins to change us from the inside out. And what happens is that affects how we love other people. That affects how we treat them. Because when we have experienced the gospel in our own hearts, We've experienced that that love, that grace, that patience, that mercy. Listen, that becomes the same things that we treat other people with. That same love, the same patience, that same mercy. We have got to be a people that learn how to preach the gospel to ourselves. The gospel is what saves us, but the gospel is something we need to remind ourselves day after day after day because the heart is desperately wicked. And lest us be blind to the two by four in our eye when we're trying to criticize somebody else. Perhaps, perhaps the reason why so many of us are become hard-hearted is because we haven't really understood and experienced the grace and the mercy of the gospel ourselves. And here's, again, here, here, here's what Jesus is saying. Brothers and sisters, we, we should look out for one another. We should have a desire to say, man, I love you. I care for you. I don't want you to make those same dumb mistakes I've made. But when we do that, we have to judge others in grace and truth under the experience of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now we get to verse 6. And verse 6 is a wild card. Verse 6 is, 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 is interesting. Here's what verse 6 says. Verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them under feet and turn to attack you. I kind of sit and I wonder, I think, okay, Jesus, you're talking about judging. We're, we're dealing with judging and judge not, and, and, and here's how you judge. And then you start talking about dogs and, and pearls and, and pigs. And, and, and how, how do these things relate together? Let me tell you. Okay? And this is why we have to understand this idea that we judge in grace and truth under the experience of the gospel. Because Jesus just told us that we are to judge. There are to be some people that we view as pigs and some people that we view as dogs. Okay? And here's, let, let me explain this. When we're talking dogs... We're not talking our cuddly 20th century pets that sleep on the foot of our beds. Um, we're talking more like cats. I mean, we're talking like uh, back in Jesus' day, dogs were wild animals. They, they, they carry disease and, and filth and, and, and cats. So you know what I'm saying. No, just kidding. 
Uh, but these dogs were not your clean dogs that you're keeping in your house. They're, they're dogs you wouldn't want anything to do with. Pigs. You know what pigs are? I mean, you can come and bring a pig in, and you can clean a pig up, and you can put lipstick on it. And what's the pig going to do when you put it back outside? Go right back to the pig pen. Right? They're, they're, they're just not clean animals. And let me tell you what Jesus doesn't mean. Okay? He doesn't mean that we refuse to, we refuse to engage somebody who disagrees with us. He's not saying, hey, when you're living your life and somebody disagrees with you, you call them a pig and a dog and you don't have to engage with them. And that's not what Jesus is saying. That would be contrary to what Jesus has just tried to teach us. What Jesus is doing is he's giving us instructions on how we engage with other people. I mean, think about these kids in here today. Kids, how many of you guys have a dog at home? Kids, how many? When you have a dog and you get a treat for the dog, what does a dog do? Does he get excited? Like, wake, wag his little tail? Like, our dog, like, you put food on the counter, our dog's climbing on the counter. She just, she's going after it, okay? Now, let me ask you this, kids. If you were to take a pearl and throw a pearl down on the ground, what would the dog do? The dog might eat it. It's not going to be very good coming back out. It's going to hurt. That, that, that pearl isn't going to taste very good to that dog. At some point, the dog's going to look at that pearl and say, it's not good for food. It doesn't taste that good. So the dog's going to leave that there. And what the scripture says is they will turn and attack you. That dog's going to say, that pearl, it doesn't, it doesn't bring me any value. But look, I can turn to you and I can at least eat you. Might as well go after that. And here's, here's what Jesus is getting across. When we talk about this pearl, in the Gospels, the message of the kingdom of God, the gospel is often referred to as a pearl. It's referred to as, as a pearl of great wisdom. Listen, in our natural state, remember our heart is desperately wicked. In our natural state, this is what Romans 3, this is what Paul says. He says in Romans 3, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. In our natural state, in our natural human state, Scripture just said no one naturally seeks after God. None of us do. And Jesus is not saying that we judge some people as being unworthy of receiving the gospel. Rather, what Jesus is saying is John chapter 6, verse 44 says, No one comes to me unless the Father sent me draws him. What Jesus is saying in this verse is that when we, when we share the gospel with other people, which is what we're absolutely supposed to do, when we share that pearl with other people after sustained rejection, after sustained reproach, after we see that we've shared the gospel with somebody time and again, we see that they are not open to the gospel. In fact, they're antagonistic to the gospel. They want nothing to do with God. They want nothing to do with church. Jesus just said we are to judge them and say, you know what? I'm still going to love this person, but I'm going to move on and find someone else to share the gospel with. They're not ready for it. God hasn't prepared their hearts. I don't know. It's like, well, what, what Jesus would really tell us to do that. Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends his disciples out two by two to preach the gospel. He says, go into the regions and preach the gospel. And listen, when and if you are rejected, you are to shake the dust off of your feet and to move on. Jesus says, you've done your part. Your conscience is clear. You've shared the gospel. That's what you're called to do. 
So Jesus is saying we are to make a judgment on somebody. We're in a relationship with them. We're loving them. We're sharing the gospel with them. And if there's this repeated antagonistic response, Jesus says it's okay for us to turn our attention and say, you know what, you're not ready for the gospel. And I'm going to take it over to this person and start sharing the gospel with this person. And let me tell you what this verse teaches us. Because there's three things I want us to understand. This is why it's valuable that we understand what it looks like for us to judge other people. What verse 6 means for us, number one, is that we have a responsibility to share the gospel. We have a responsibility to share the gospel. I would say that some of us don't need to read verse 6 because we don't ever share the gospel. We don't understand that our friends and our family members and the people around us, the people that we care about, are bound for hell in eternity. And we have no concern to share with them the truth about who Jesus is, about the way to heaven. See, we are called as Christians, our responsibility. Remember those Pharisees that came to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, what's the two most, two most important commandments? Or what's the most important commandment? And Jesus responded as two, to love God and to love people. To love God and love people. Here at Restoration Church, we have summarized that, those two commandments in our mission statement. To know Christ, which is to love God, and to make Christ known, which is to love people. That is our responsibility, that we, we, we know Christ, we have a personal relationship with him, and then we share the gospel with others so that they can find that same grace and truth and forgiveness that we have found through Jesus Christ. And again, I think we said this earlier, but I, I think it's worth mentioning. The gospel is not morality. The gospel is not our political uh, beliefs. Too often what happens too often as we become more concerned with them becoming a moral person. We're more concerned with, hey, you're living a, a promiscuous life. And Jesus says not to live a promiscuous life. No, listen, it doesn't matter if they live a promiscuous life. If they don't know Jesus, they're going to hell. And that is what the message is about. And that's what Jesus is saying. That we have this responsibility not just to convert people to morals, but to convert them to Christ. That they would experience a life change through him. Listen, all those other things, hey, we can deal with later. But most importantly is, does this person know Jesus? Listen, Christians, we have a responsibility to share the gospel with the people around us. Your, your, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, you kids. I love seeing you kids up here on the stage. But I want you to understand, serving God doesn't just mean you come to church and you serve up on the stage. That you can serve God at your school. By praying for other kids. By sharing them uh, the truth of who Jesus is. Inviting people to church. Again, it's easy for us to tell those kids. But what about you and I? Are we doing those things? Second thing that this verse teaches us. is going to teach us that prayer has got to be our main weapon. When we're loving people. When we're judging people. Prayer has got to be our main weapon. Only God can change hearts. And we've got to pray like crazy. In fact, uh, Jacob mentioned a couple weeks ago a guy by the name of Ian Bounds who wrote a couple books on prayer. And Ian Bounds said this. He said, we shouldn't talk to a person about God without first talking to God about that person. Isn't that great? We shouldn't talk to a person about God until we talk to God about that person first. Listen, people don't need just information. 
People need regeneration, and only God can do that. So wouldn't that naturally lead us to being on our knees praying for people? Number three, third thing this verse is going to teach us is that we have to recognize that it's God's job to change hearts, not ours. Preaching is our business. Sharing the gospel is our business, but God is in the business of changing hearts. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, this is something I've had to wrestle with. This is, a pa- this is something I've had to wrestle with in my, in my life where I've got these, these people that I love, people that have come, people I'm in relationship with. I love them deeply. I want nothing more than to have their life changed because of Jesus. I want them to experience the same grace that I've experienced, to experience the freedom. To know when, when I sing that song, I'm no longer a slave to fear. I'm a child of God. Like, like, I want them to experience the joy that I have singing that. Because I know I've been there. Because I'm a child of God, I no longer have to be afraid. And I want them to experience that freedom. But as hard as I've tried, I can't force that to happen in another person. I can't force it. That's God's business. And Jesus says, listen, your responsibility is to share the gospel. And you be on your knees praying. But listen, once you've done that, if you have to leave it to God. You have to trust God to do something. Listen, there are stories of people who, who, who we've shared the gospel with. And they weren't receptive. And so guess what we did? We loved them. And years down the road, they finally, God begins to open their heart. And that's when they become and say, man, I get it. I'm coming to Jesus. We have to recognize God does that. God's the one who changes hearts. Today, this morning, I want to just close and just offer a little bit of grace and truth to every one of us in here today. Listen, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to offer you that pearl this morning. See, I believe if you're here today, I believe that God has been calling you. I believe he's been reaching out, trying to get your attention. The question is, are you going to stop trying it your way? Are you finally ready to surrender and trust Jesus? John chapter 1 says, To as many as believed in him and received him, he gave them the power to become sons and daughters of God. Today, would you receive him? Today, would you believe in his name? Would you finally surrender and say, Jesus, I'm in. I'm not going to do this thing where I'm trying to have one foot in both worlds. Jesus, I'm in. I'm after you. Today's the day. Listen, the pearl's before you. The question is, what are you going to do with it? Listen, I think there are some of us in here who've been marked with truth. We're marked with truth. We love telling the truth, but we have very little grace in our life. We tend to be harsh. We tend to be overly critical. We judge people not to seek the redemption. We judge people to make ourselves feel better. To get people off of our own sin. Listen, my encouragement to you this morning is that you would experience the gospel. That you would recognize every one of us. It's not a surprise. Our hearts are desperately wicked. We are depraved people. And it is the grace of God 
that we can become a child of God. It is the grace of God that we can stand and sing. It is the grace of God that we can have any moral victory in our life. And let's recognize that. And let's share the gospel with people. Let's love people in light of that. The fact that God loves us desperately despite our wickedness. Listen, I don't know what brought you here today. But I want you to experience grace and truth. I want you to experience Jesus. Because here's the truth. Jesus paid a tremendous price to prove his love to you. And today his arms are open, wide open. And Jesus is offering us forgiveness that is bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And today we are invited to, to leave our regrets, to leave our mistakes behind. To bring our sorrows and trade them for joy. And that's what I want us to experience today.